Welcome to the Humble Hoof Podcast. My name is Alicia Harlov. This is a podcast for both horse owners and hoof care professionals, offering discussions into various philosophies on the health of the hoof and soundness of your horse. Please check us out on Facebook or at thehumblehoof.com. If you've ever met a donkey, you know they're a special kind of animal and pretty different from horses. Their demeanor and behavior and the way they relate to us alone is quite different, but their feet are actually anatomically different structures than horse hooves. I trim quite a few donkeys, but always am amazed at how some I meet have such distorted hooves. I reached out to Ross Keller, a donkey and mule hoof care instructor for ELPO, Equine Lameness Prevention Organization, and asked if he would be willing to answer some questions I have about donkey feet and behavior. Yeah, so why don't we get started? And actually, mm-hmm. to start, um, I would be interested to hear how you got so involved with trimming donkeys and how donkeys became sort of it. Sounds it seems like they're sort of your your focus right now in hoof care. Is that true? Uh, yeah, that's that, that is that is true. They're very much um, focused, both from a, an employment standpoint and just from my my personal interest in my own my own donkeys. You know, we're gonna go way. We're gonna do the way back machine here. <laughs> In uh, in the year 2000, we we uh, we moved to the country, and uh, my wife wanted to get a horse, um, and I had no experience with any pets other than cats. So I was like, "Yeah, fine, whatever you want. It's cool with me. I've got mountain biking, climbing, and skiing, and that's all I need." So we got this horse, and it was immediately apparent that she needed a companion. She was totally freaked out. Neighbor horses weren't adequate for her. So my wife got to brainstorming, and she said, you know, um, I hear that donkeys are easy to keep, and we could, uh, you know, get one of those as a companion for Coco. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know, fine. And we got this donkey through the want ads, and as soon as she arrived home, she completely changed my life. I was sort of donkey smitten from that mm. point forward. And then, you know, my interest, we did a lot of showing and, and um, activities and packing and, and uh, riding and driving with our donkeys. And um, about uh, 11 years ago, the uh, place I was employed, there was a bit of an economic downturn, and I had the option to work part-time for a while. And so given that opportunity, I thought I would give hoof care a try. And right from the beginning, I had uh, a goal, you might say, and a focus on providing hoof care unique to donkeys, um, knowing that that was an underserved segment of, of the industry, even that I, even though I knew, you know, very little about the the hoof care industry at that point. So, how did it end up moving over to doing more donkey focus, and because they can distort in ways that I haven't seen in horses. Um, right. So right. I have a lot of questions about how, you know, you kind of bring that back in and um, rehab sure. those cases. But um, okay. so why don't we first start, you know, with the basics of how do donkey feet differ from horse feet? Well, the most significant difference, uh, and this is the focus when I when I teach the students, because they've we're usually at week six or seven of an eight-week school when I show up to do a full day of donkey and mule hoof care. So, you know, my first thing is we need to turn everything you've learned on it on its head. Donkey feet, first and foremost, are morphologically very different from horses. And from a hoof care standpoint, the biggest difference is how donkey feet grow. 
which is they grow vertically instead of growing forward and out at the toe and forward and in at the heels like a horse hoof does. So that's that's the, the, the first thing that I you know bring up with the students that the, actually the introduction to my lecture to them is donkeys are not long-eared horses and you shouldn't ever take any horse behavior or anatomical or physiological things with you when you go to donkeys because it, it would be the equivalent of looking at a giraffe and saying, you know, I'll bet it's just like a horse. They're that different from horses. And, you know, probably the biggest thing that donkeys have going against them is they look kind of like horses and, and even more so for mules. And so they get this bad rap from a behavior standpoint because people apply, you know, their horse experience and knowledge and horse behavioral expectations. They bring that to the donkey and they don't fit that mold and therefore if you're looking for reactions from the donkey that matches your experience with horses, you're probably going to misinterpret what the donkey is telling you. I know I kind of got off your question there, but so. No, no, that's perfect. And you had kind of mentioned the anatomy a bit, but hmm? can you talk a little bit about the actual anatomical changes like within the hoof capsule between a horse so, and a donkey? So the, the, the most important thing to know, I think, for hoof care providers is that the donkey hoof proportional to the animal size is at least double, if not more than double, the robustness of a horse hoof. And therefore, the structures uh, such as sole can grow more robustly than an equivalent horse. And so when the students go through the farrier school, one of the things they're, they're, that's emphasized with them, especially on barefoot trimming, is that you never take something off the horse's foot unless you have a reason to take it. And that leaving adequate protection, especially on barefoot horses, is the most important consideration when approaching uh, trim. And then, you know, balance would be secondary to making sure that there's adequate protection, especially on barefoot horses. And my point of emphasis with them is on, on donkey feet, it's important to take, say, exfoliate to a functional waxy sole unless you have a reason not to do it which is the opposite of what they're taught on horses. And that's because the structures are so robust. My experience in, in the industry is that the biggest, I wouldn't say mistake, but the, the biggest issue that hoof care providers have in trimming donkey feet in particular is that they're not assertive enough in their trims. They don't remove enough solar material or enough hoof wall or enough frog and end up with feet that um, are overgrown and are prone to congested and compressed tissue that can lead to abscesses and other problems. And so with that in mind, do you approach, you know, for those people that do anything with hoof mapping, which I know not everybody utilizes hoof mapping, do you change your hoof mapping from a horse to a donkey? Yes. Yes. In fact, um, as you know, ELPO hoof mapping uh, is really important to helping our members and students understand the structures of the hoof. And, and so we emphasize that very strongly. And a few years ago, um, in coordination with other ELPO instructors, I developed a, uh, a hoof mapping protocol for donkeys, which we've refined over the years as well. And so I do have a protocol for mapping donkey feet. It's completely different from the horse mapping that you've seen, either ELPO or one of those because the structural features that you, that you see externally, especially sol on solar aspect of the hoof, um, are presented in a very different manner. The bars terminate 
in a different place. The frog is located more caudally in the foot. The overall plan form shape of the hoof is, is more straight-sided and round-toed instead of a more circular form that you have in a horse's hoof. So there is a good mapping protocol. It's very good at finding the tip of P3, and it, but that is only of help on feet that are very distorted because of the way donkey feet are. It's actually more important to determine the depth that needs to be trimmed rather than the length of the toe as far as distortion that might occur there. So the main focus of, or the, the most important point of the map is to find the exfoliation plane of the frog because that will guide you to uh, the internal structures to be the, the location and depth of the coffin bone. And also that generally will line up very well with the plane of functional sole. So you have those two landmarks to work from. The only time that doesn't work well is when we're dealing with foundered feet. And and as you know, when you're dealing with foundered feet, at that point, you're best to work with radiographs. Right. Yeah. And that's so interesting when you're talking about the toe, because I feel like with horses, I'm always chasing after toe, you know, like bringing mm-hmm. it, trying to bring the toe back, bring the toe back. So with donkeys, do you ever worry about bringing the toe back to like the white line? Or do you, once you have it, the depth trimmed to where you want it, do you leave that toe wall out a little bit farther from the white line than you might with a horse? On a non-distorted donkey hoof, uh, we I typically set breakover at the white line. Okay, yeah. Um, because if, if you're looking at a non-distorted donkey hoof that's not overgrown and you look at it solar at a solar aspect, then really the sole all the way around from seed of corn to seed of corn exactly matches the, the solar surface of the coffin bone. So you have a really nice guide to look at there. And so typically, say on a standard donkey, the tip of P3 would be about a quarter inch inside of the white line of the toe. Um, so, you know, using our, our typical standard of a quarter inch ahead of P3's tip for breakover, that puts it right, that puts breakover right in the white line. And I don't tend to put a real exaggerated rocker or breakover in. It's more of a, it's more of a radius than a real emphasized breakover, that makes sense. Do you mean like a roll or you don't really end up doing a roll? Well, I, I you know, I, I try to avoid the, the term roll because it gets confused with people who talk about Mustang roll. Right. And in some quarters, that's kind of a, a charge term. But I do radius the hoof wall more aggressively at the toe and then also all the way around because I think leverage reduction both, you know, in a, in a forward motion is important, but also laterally it's important for the donkeys as well. And these, the, the frog and the first contact point of the heels are generally blended together to provide a good transition from frog to, to hoof ball, especially in the donkey, since the frog is a proportionally bigger structure in the donkey hoof than in the horse hoof, and it is more caudal than it is in the horse hoof. The frog is really an important structure for impact absorption on a heel first landing. And so we want them to, you know, land heel first in a, in a normal gait, which they would do, absorb the shock initially in the frog and then smoothly transition that to the to the uh, to the hoof wall. So there's usually a little softening of the heels to blend that with the frog when it's properly trimmed. And I've seen, I don't know if you see this a lot too, but a lot of the donkeys, especially ones that I come to and trim for the first time, I find myself trimming a lot of frog, which I mm-hmm. don't find myself needing to do on a lot of horses. But with the donkeys, I they 
that I see, they end up growing these frogs so much higher than where their natural frog seems like it would be. Um, right. And I think that's the way the huff grows and because of the importance of the, the frog relative to the rest of the um, structures in the hoof. So when I am trimming donkey feet on a typical maintenance trim of a non-foundered, anything but a foundered hoof, so a regular trim on a donkey, the frog gets trimmed completely first other than exfoliation of the sole because that is the primary guide for determining the wall height trim and where the toe gets trimmed because by following the plane, the exfoliation plane of the frog, you get a better idea of how much toe you should take off, which is, took me quite a while to come up with a good way to get to the right depth on toe, not leaving too much or taking too much and leaving them at a correct palmer angle and phalangeal alignment. Yeah, and I know that this is like hard to do on an audio podcast, but do you have any tips for what you look for when you're trimming that frog to know that you have it at a good height to base your other landmarks on? So if you're holding the leg in your hand, looking, you know, siding down at the hoof and looking at the heel from above, you will see across the back of the frog, there's, there's almost always a prominent crease or line in the back of the frog that is generally close to the point where the frog and the horn at the heel meet and that is the exfoliation plane of the frog so by using that as the baseline and then trimming the frog from the apex back to that point using your tools to find the kind of path of least resistance in the frog that will trim the frog to that plane it is a little hard to do this without a picture <laughs> right i know and that's what i said like you know it's it's hard yeah. to do when you're there are times when i'm doing yeah. something on the podcast and i'm like oh, i don't know how to describe this and, and from a tool use standpoint if it's if it's a smaller softer frog i will take my loop knife which is my flatter bellied knife and just start at one heel at the heel on one side and and just cut across that line let the blade find the weakest point and if you don't force it then it will cut true to the plane that the frog wants to exfoliate at because in a in a naturally wearing donkey hoof that's the point where the frog always wears to if we looked at donkeys that were you know running in a natural environment that's that's um, appropriately abrasive then you would see that that line just never really appears because the frog is always worn to that point that makes sense yeah well, and then the, the other handy thing tool use-wise is to use the nippers, putting one blade on the line and then and then putting the other blade underneath the frog, either in a commissure or at the apex, and then letting the inner blade of the nippers actually find that plane and cut the frog to that point. And when I demonstrate this to uh, to students or other folks the first time, they're, they're almost always shocked at how much I'm removing from the foot to get to the plane of frog. And that goes back to that mindset of horse trimming where you want to be very cautious and prudent in your trimming and not over trim the foot and, you know, and leave the structures too weak or too thin. So we kind of have to Kind of have to turn that on its head when we're teaching people about donkey feet that being assertive is more important than being conservative. Yeah. And you had mentioned naturally wearing donkey feet, which kind of segues a bit into what would you consider an ideal donkey hoof? Well, I mean, we would want uh, obviously no distortion, the foot worn down to that 
point where we're on both the frog exfoliation plane and the functional plane of the sole at the sole uh, wall junction. Very healthy, robust frog that is, uh, you know, firm to pressure, has no sulcus issues or thrush, and also that leads to a well-developed digital cushion, of course. Those feet, you also see that that, that radiusing or rolling of the hoof wall, both for breakover and lateral leverage reduction naturally occurs. I have a pair of actually three donkeys in my practice down in the Colorado Springs area that live, uh, their paddock is a slab of limestone and they routinely go up into the national forest and the terrain there is decomposing granite. And I see them once a year and they're typically two to three millimeters out of balance mediolaterally. And that's all we take off of them once a year. Wow. That's three donkeys out of 500. So Right. (laughs) (laughs) So when you're looking at the, you know, if the frog is at that exfoliation point, do you like Mm -hmm. the heels to be almost at that point? Or how how low are donkey heels? Should they be? How low should they be? The heels should be at that same height of frog. Yeah. So, and it's pretty easy to find if the foot's not distorted because you're also going to be on the plane of functional sole. And when when I trim donkey feet, the hoof wall is trimmed down to the plane of functional sole at the sole wall junction. So I'm not typically leaving any wall height above the sole unless I have a reason to do that, such as a, a very flat-footed donkey, say one that we're in the process of doing rehab from, say, toe distortion that caused the foot to flatten out. Otherwise, it's always trimmed down to the same plane as the sole. Yeah, because I I feel like I come across a lot of people where, you know, even if they have donkeys as pets, where I might mention that, wow, they have really tall heels or really long heels. And the general response I get is like, oh, well, they're a donkey. They're supposed to have upright feet. That is true. I mean, relative to mules or horses, they do generally have upright feet. But just like horses, there is a range of variation in the level of uprightedness, you might say, in donkey feet, just like we see and horses, you know, everything from a relatively low angle for a donkey hoof to, to one that's upright to the point of, you know, breaking over the top, being club-footed, although club feet and donkeys are presented very differently than they are in horses. So, yeah, they're upright, but, you know, the frog plane and the sole plane tell you where that hoof needs to be. In my experience, if that question comes up, then a demonstration of the structures and an explanation of what I'm doing and what structures we're going by and why that's important uh, generally is satisfactory. Yeah. And I know, obviously, we've spent a lot of time talking about an ideal foot and what the foot should look like. But a lot of times when I'm coming to donkeys for the first time, I see a lot of distorted feet that really anyone could look at and tell they're distorted. You know, they, I've, right. I've come to a donkey before that had both heels almost growing sideways mm-hmm. on one front. And, you mm-hmm. know, the owner was like, oh, it's always been like that. <laughs> um, right, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, those are, those are usually the same people that say, well, they were just trimmed uh, eight weeks ago. Yeah. Um, the super overgrown uh, feet are, are not that uncommon, unfortunately. Um, and the distortions that we see in donkey feet that are, are grossly overgrown are quite different than we see in horse feet. Probably the most important factor in that is that the robustness of the donkey hoof precludes it from flaring like a horse hoof would, or the heels, because they grow vertically, the heels growing forward and in and causing uh, 
contracted heel situation is, is pretty rare. But what the donkey feet will do is any asymmetry in the donkey's conformation will cause the hoof to load more on one side, usually load more medially and less laterally. Uh, you know, if you've noticed, donkeys tend to be towed out and their normal conformation is somewhat towed out in the front and also a bit in the hind. So when they overgrow, uh, we have compression of the medial quarter and generally an unloading of the lateral quarter. And so over time, that turns into a, um, a lateral twist of the wall. It can roll, especially on the hinds, we'll see, I'll see that where we, we, it, it'll twist and kind of ram's horn out laterally. And on fronts, I'll see that to some degree, but also we'll see what we call the, you know, like Aladdin slipper kind of a curl front. But regardless of how overgrown and distorted the hoof is, as I work my way down into those feet, the landmarks start to appear. And, you know, usually in, for a grossly distorted hoof, say I did one a month ago, he was, I would guess we probably trimmed about three years of identifiable growth off of his feet. He couldn't walk. His heels were, on his hinds were probably... And this was a small standard donkey, so he's about 40 inches tall. And I would say the heels were probably four inches long on his hinds. And it had caused him to, to collapse onto those heels so that he, he was in so much pain he couldn't stand. And we did have rads in that case, but even if we didn't have radiographs to go by, I can take any foot on a, of that size and, and safely estimate that I'm, I'm going to have, I know, ideally there may be, be an inch of heel height and three inches of toe length on a donkey that size. So I will mark out to start with, say, an inch and a half of heel and four inches of toe and just cut the sucker off with a saw wow. and start from there. Yeah. Um, in being, in, and then progressively being more cautious in getting further into the foot. But in that case, we brought that donkey's, both his hinds and his fronts, back to about 90% of functionality in one trim. And I mean, he walked off like he was the happiest camper in the world because he hadn't been able to walk like that in years. Right. Yeah. So, uh, and also those cases, the relief from chronic pain that they achieve is instantaneous. Once you have those feet trimmed, they feel better. There generally isn't an adjustment period other than a few strides to realize that their feet hit the ground a little later than they had been. That's so great. Yeah. I don't know if you saw that video that's gone around Facebook a million times of, um, I don't know what country it's in, but they're trimming these donkey feet that were so overgrown with like those big. Oh, the, the ones where they're using the blades? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> if, if it's the one I'm thinking of, it, it's actually a pretty damn good trim. I yeah. mean, what they end up is on the sole plane, on the frog plane, the, the, the toe and heel lengths and the medial lateral balance look pretty darn good. I mean, if I could be that handy with a hammer and a giant chisel, I'd be pretty proud of myself. So. <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah, but it just, I mean, I was actually wondering if those donkeys would come up sore after, but obviously you just said that it, it's more of a relief than anything else. Yeah. It is, and one of the things I emphasize in teaching, too, is that if you're going to make a mistake on trimming a donkey, it should be in the direction of trimming too much and not making the mistake of not trimming enough. Because if you do, say, over-trim them and leave them a little thin in the sole, they're going to be fine. Give them a few days, they're going to be fine. And it's not going to generally lead to, say, issues with subsolar bruising or subsolar abscesses or destabilization of the coffin bone and the lamina because the structures are so impressively robust that the donkeys can really take that. I have a lot of donkeys in my practice that 
had insufficient hoof care early in their life and a number of them do not have good laminar connection in the toe region of their coffin bone dorsally. But because they have such robust structures, even though they only have a good laminar connection from, say, toe quarter to heel on each side, we don't see any displacement of the coffin bone even though there's no support in the front of the foot to speak of. While I had Ross on the phone, I couldn't miss an opportunity to ask about some issues I was seeing in some of my donkey clients myself. And I was just thinking about, you know, distorted feet, and it reminded me of one donkey that I see. And since I have you on the phone, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I would love to pick your brain about him. Oh, sure, sure. Um, so he has this medial uh, separation on a front foot, and it's mm-hmm. almost like his his wall has chipped off, and there's this white line separation. And it's mm-hmm. I keep waiting for that wall to grow down. And when you say separation, is it is it kind of a chalky separation? Yeah, and or I've is, I've packed so, it with stuff. So typically in that case, what the first thing to do is to make sure you're trimming the foot all the way down to the sole plane, okay. and then in that area where the, you have the separation, you may want to actually remove wall below the sole plane and and actually recruit the sole in that area to bear more weight than the wall to provide relief. And then also either use a maybe a small abscess loop or a, a Dremel with a you know, grinder tip and kind of really get aggressively in there and clean that out. And then the other thing that I've had really good luck with lately is using hoof armor to coat those areas to both protect them from further moisture intrusion and also strengthen the structures. And that seems to be yielding good results in stopping the progression of that separation and development of that chalky stratum medium that that can be hard to kind of get rid of. You know, it seems like every time you go out and trim, you're chasing it. Yeah. And it seems like you've made some progress and you come back the next time and it's still kind of where it was. Right. So, so um, and I, I think as a general rule, though, the best results are going to be achieved in those cases by being more assertive rather than less. Yeah. And otherwise, I like his hoof conformation, and I like where his heel is and his toe. But yeah, it's just uh, that one foot that is funky. Yeah, and, and he probably shows no signs of any chronic pain or any significant lameness because of that that condition of that hoof, right? No, yeah, he isn't taking a lame step. Uh, and and that's that's the other thing I found that sometimes you just need to not over worry. I mean, you, obviously, you want to remediate those issues as much as you can, but. I have a Janet, I'm actually going to see her tomorrow, and she had an injury many years ago and grows no hoof wall on her right hind from the middle of each quarter across the toe. It grows down from the coronary band about a half an inch and then falls apart. Wow. And so she just has dead lamina protecting her coffin bone. She has been like that. I've worked on her for eight years, and, and we are making progress on it actually using this hoof armor method but she's been like that for eight years and she's like once in a while i step a little bit wrong and i get an owie and i limp for a minute but you know what i'm good and she lives in a pretty mountainous place and they're charged they're they're walking up and down hills all day so it's just the robustness of the structure is such that they can they can really get along with a lot less of the total structure there that's amazing and i've been so impressed with hoof armor too i didn't i haven't used it on any donkeys but that's really good to know that that would help with that kind of situation yeah, and just even if it just saturates that that kind of chalky, degraded horn, that seems to help both stabilize the structure and prevent further intrusion in moisture. And that 
with those separations, moisture uh, intrusion and degradation of the tissue, I think, is a significant factor, especially for folks that live in a warm, humid, or wet environment. We're kind of fortunate here, you know, in Colorado, it's not a generally very wet environment. It's pretty much low humidity and dry all the time. But even saying that, relative to the environment that the donkey species that we deal with as domesticated donkeys, where they evolve, Colorado, you know, 15% humidity is like high humidity for those guys. So you move into an environment, say, the East Coast or the West Coast or the South, where it's generally you know, either very warm or very humid or both, we really can run into some significant issues with trying to maintain these feet because they're so far outside of their evolved environment. That makes sense. And yeah, I'm on the East Coast. I'm just north of Boston. So it can be very wet here. We're kind of in mud season right now. Yeah, we have, we'll have that for a month in the spring. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm jealous. <laughs> and actually, that got me thinking about uh, what kind of cycle do you like to see donkeys on? And does that differ with environment? Uh, absolutely, it, it differs with environment. As I mentioned, I've got three donkeys in my practice that get seen once a year. And that's more of a checkup before they start burrow racing for the year than anything. But on average, I would say the donkeys in my practice are on about a 10-week schedule, and that varies for regular non-distorted, non-pathological feet. I don't have any donkeys are, that are on um, less than eight weeks, and there are quite a few that are on 12-week cycle. The only donkeys I have that are on less than eight weeks are a small group of founder cases that are on a four-week cycle. And is that just because they wear down their feet well or they don't grow as fast? That's part of it in some cases, but also some of it's geographical. I have some donkeys that I travel quite a ways to see, so I can only see them every 12 weeks. And But they do grow quite a bit of foot in that time. The advantage that we have, though, is because of the way a well-conformed donkey's hoof grows, it can be quite long and not be distorted. So... A lot of donkeys get away with having, say, a half inch of hoof that needs to be trimmed away without suffering any pathology or imbalances in their hoof capsule. I occasionally will, you know, maybe a, a client who can't, for whatever reason, stay on the, on the schedule I'd like to see and say, I don't see the donkey for six months. I go out after six months, and if it was, if the donkey is, is well conformed and we had the, the hoof capsule well balanced um, six months ago, then it's really just a maintenance trim. The foot's longer, but it's not generally overly distorted in any significant way. So that allows me to stretch some of those guys out a little bit and, and keep more donkeys going in my practice than I would if I had them on a shorter cycle. Yeah, I think that was most of my questions about trimming. I think one final question I have is if, you know, listeners wanted to take a clinic or a course or something that was more specific to donkeys, is that something they could do through ELPO? Yeah, absolutely. As an adjunct to a lot of our clinics, I'm available to have side session with anybody that comes to one of our clinics to do donkey or mule-specific hoof care demonstrations and work on some animals and talk about both behavior and anatomy and protocol. Teaching people about donkey behavior and proper handling is as important as the technical aspects of hoof care because a lot of professionals don't have that background with them. They bring with them what they know, and that's typically horse behavior. So, you know, you've probably seen a lot of discussions 
about how, well, donkeys are hard to handle, I don't like doing them, you know, or we have to restrain them to work on them because they're disrespectful or ornery or, or, or whatever. And that's almost entirely a case of not understanding the behaviors of the animal and how they react to stimulus. But uh, yeah, through the LPO, I'm at pretty much all the clinics. We, I think we're going to do, we do four clinics in the spring and four in the fall. Uh, we're going to have a more extended schedule starting this next year. Even if you were going to come just because we were going to talk about donkey, the value that the LPO brings to folks horizon broadening in their health care practice is extremely valuable. I've never had anybody come to a, an ELPO clinic that wasn't impressed with how we operate and what they were able to learn. It's well worth the money. As mentioned before, donkey behavior is very different from horses, and to trim them safely and effectively, we have to learn how to better interact with them and properly build their trust. I asked Ross if he could explain some differences between donkeys and horses and how we can best work with them. And I know that you had kind of briefly mentioned about donkey behavior. I don't know if you had any sort of basic tips of how to approach a donkey. I would say that a lot of the donkeys I come to are very nervous about Uh hoof care. Well, with that kind of a donkey, I will typically start with working on desensitizing. And unless there's some significant reason that we need to get after feet immediately, I might visit the first three or four or more times with the donkey, might be desensitizing meat and creep. They generally work better in a confined space, but not restrained than being restrained. And we use the typical example of one that's moderately to mildly concerned about presence. By putting them in a confined space, say maybe four stock panels, 12 foot by 12 foot enclosure, it's possible to then to get in with a donkey without any restraint of the donkey and, and use approach and retreat desensitizing to get the animal used to being touched. So in a typical case, I will approach assertively, not timidly, and find a place in the donkey that I can touch say, the hip without the donkey bolting and apply whatever pressure I can apply and leave the pressure applied, say, with the palm of my hand until I see the donkey start to relax. So the typical reaction will be, I'll touch the donkey's hip, the donkey will hunch its back and tuck its tail. As soon as I see the back start to relax a little bit, I remove the pressure. And then I come back and I apply the pressure again and and, and go through the same routine. So usually the amplitude of their reaction goes down with each subsequent approach. And then once, say, they're, if they're most willing to have, say, their hip approach, then I'll move to maybe the middle of the back and then the shoulder and then maybe back to, the, to, the, to their butt and start working down towards their hock. But the most important thing in those cases is I don't my tools apron and everything else stay in the truck until we're confident that the donkey is ready to work with us because these animals really develop relationships in a trust-based manner. So you have to be a partner to them and they have to trust you as their leader before you can get to that sort of at liberty, I love you kind of thing. <laughs> you see, you yeah. know, uh, like like Megan Hensley, you see a lot of her stuff where she's working on animals at liberty and that's because she's she's worked to gain their trust and developed a relationship with them. The other thing that I do that it, you could say is really not an industry standard is for most of the adult donkeys that that I deal with, I have a pocket full of cookies and they get treats as a behavior reinforcement 
on a regular basis. So say we're doing desensitizing I, and, and we get a good result with a foot, when that foot comes back down in the next few seconds they might get a treat reward if I have determined that um, that's a good way to reinforce that behavior. And it's a very, can be a very effective tool in supercharging the rate at which you can get them to be calm and trusting of you. Do you have any, you know, uh, insight into when a donkey might be getting ready to kick? Yeah, you can look at body posture, tension, um, a hard eye, a, a hard muzzle, you know, a uh, sort of, I wouldn't say a hunched back, but a tensed stance. And, and, and I guess this isn't easy for me to describe because generally speaking, kicking is not something that I see a lot of in the donkeys I work with because we're, I'm careful not to ever put them in a position where they feel like they need to defend themselves. Yeah. And my experience with donkeys is that they're not going to be aggressive in any manner, but they may be defensive if they feel like they have no other option. Now, there are some exceptions. Sometimes I'll run into, say, a wily old range genet or just a wily old genet that has taught people over the years that if she kicks, they'll leave her alone. And that's sort of an avoidance technique. It's not really defensive. It's more avoidance. Like, I've learned that if I threaten to kick you, that you'll leave me alone. And therefore, since I get away with it, that reinforces that behavior. So I have developed a very effective and safe technique for discouraging that behavior in the kickers by standing at their side, placing one hand on the top of their hip and lifting their hind leg from the front, in the, in the hawk area, but from the front, and then let them kick. And I stand there and they, they shake their leg for a minute, and the smart ones realize really quickly that it no longer works and the kicking problem is solved. Wow. So... And that's a fairly common behavior. It's it's a learned behavior on their part, a learned avoidance behavior. The smart genets will give that up and immediately go to something else like, okay, well, I'll lay down. Okay, well, I'll rear. Okay, well, I'll bite. Um, and, and But as soon as you deal with each of those avoidances, they tend to quit them. And biting is a pretty rare thing. And I'm, I'm very abrupt and firm in my corrections for any kind of dangerous behavior. If I think... It is coming from a place that's not fear-based. If I have a biter or a kicker or some other behavior, but I think it may be coming from a place of fear, then the correction for that is to completely ignore the behavior. Yeah. There, I have come across a few situations over the years where, for whatever reason, that I could never find a way for the, a specific donkey to gain my trust. There have been three, I think, three instances of that that I could think of where I finally just came to the conclusion that it was me, not them, and I found them a new provider, and they did fine. Wow. And, and one of the things about donkey behavior is that they're not, they don't generalize things, so they don't have a category called people. They have a slot for every individual person they ever met. Wow. So a good analogy of that is my, my saddle donkey, Buster. When I started riding him, he would get real bulky, and I would grab a branch off of a tree as I rode by and and he would be scared to death of that branch for about five minutes. Then that branch was his old friend. It was Fred, the, Fred the branch. Um, so I would throw Fred away, and I would grab Phil off another tree, and Buster would be scared to death of Phil for five minutes. And then, then he and Phil were old friends, and so I would get Sam off another tree. And that was very effective until I had used up so many different branches that he finally saw Phil and Fred come back. 
Yeah. And so they don't have a category of stick. They don't have a category of, of really even tree. They have, they have every tree I ever saw fit into an individual slot. And if there were two identical trees, they both fit in that slot maybe. But, you know, so, so when it comes to people, sometimes for whatever reason, they're just like, I, you know, Alicia, I just don't like you. <laughs> and, I, and it can be frustrating, but you have to not take it personally and just realize at some point the best thing is to, is to work with the client on either getting them capable of doing healthcare themselves or finding another provider that's willing to work with them. And my experience in the cases where I've referred those, those clients off to colleagues of mine, they've had great success. It's a very rare occurrence, but it, it does happen. And also, it's important in dealing with these guys that, you know, one, one of the things that, that I'll hear often from a client, say a new donkey we're working with, um, he kicks with his left hind. I do not take any of that. That's information from the client, but I don't, I don't internalize that. I don't take any of that with me to the donkey as far as an expectation. While they can't, I don't think they can read our minds, they can certainly read, they can tell how we're feeling and what we're sensitive, you might say. So um, I, I was actually at a clinic a couple of months back. We were doing a certification clinic, and Steve Foxworth, was, who is our director of education, was at the clinic, and they brought in this, this yearling that had some pretty badly distorted feet. He, he was knock-kneed, and he was towed out, and, and it was kind of a mess. And the farrier that brought the horse in for Steve to look at said, well, he, he kicks with his hinds. And Steve said, I wish you hadn't have told me that because now I have that with me, and, and I rather would not have that. And he didn't take it to him with the horse. The horse didn't kick at all and, and made it feel comfortable so that it didn't feel like it had that, that you know, needed to go there. And I don't personally mind if I get that information from a colleague or a client or somebody on a particular animal, but I don't necessarily believe any of it until the animal proves it to me. So, so it's important not to bring any expectation of negative behavior um, with you. And, and sometimes it's, it's important not to have an overly positive expectation of how it's going to go. It's just going to go how it goes. So yeah, I, I laugh a lot. I, I talk to the animals, I laugh a lot, especially if they're nervous and, and frightened. And it's important, especially with those animals that are nervous, it's to stay as absolutely calm as possible. Um, I've trained myself that anytime the animal gets tense, I relax, I'm both being around them and also if we're handling them. Say I have a hoof in my hand, if I feel them tensing up, my immediate reaction that I program myself to do is to actually become calmer. And they feed off of that. So, and, and it, it can be a bit of a learning curve to train yourself to do that because it's hard to automatically relax when you, you just had a, a hoof kick out of your hand, right? Yeah. But it's possible. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it takes a lot of our own control, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes you get into truly dangerous situations with these animals where maintaining a truly calm demeanor, not just fake calm, you know, fake smile kind of thing. They're truly calm demeanor can be can be quite demanding um, to do. Well, actually, I think that I've learned so much from talking with you. And I'm really thankful that you're willing to do this because, uh, you know, donkeys are, they're so different. I mean, even if I didn't realize the, you know, difference in anatomy and the hoof, I've just realized that they're different from, you know, interacting with them. Um, right. So thank you so much. I think this will be really helpful for people that are listening. You're welcome. Awesome. Well, have a great rest of your day. Yeah. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Bye. Bye. -bye. 
I always say that I'm slightly more hoof obsessed than the average person, and chances are, if you're listening to a hoof care podcast, you are too, so we should probably be friends. Feel free to find me on Facebook or email me at thehumblehoof at gmail.com.